Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering six conversations from Season 3, Episode 27, our wrap-up of the Fifth Global Nash Congress that took place in London on May 27th and 28th. This conversation includes Rachel's interview with Magical Pharmaceuticals founder, chief medical officer, and president of R&D, Rebecca Taub. Becky goes into some detail about how the resmeterone trials were designed, the exceptionally broad array of non-invasive test magical deployed in these trials, and some of the thinking that went into these decisions. She also discusses the rather striking findings about liver volume that emerged from some studies, and stepping back of her R&D role, the importance of patient advocacy in general, and her excitement about the upcoming International NASH Day in particular. The Fifth Global NASH Congress brought together industry, academic, and patient advocates in a forum that covered an array of issues and perspectives. We've tried to bring you an assortment of these in the episode 27 conversations. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Rachel Zayas. Thank you so much for being part of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. I would love if you could introduce yourself and I'll ask you some clear questions from there. Madrigal Pharmaceuticals founder, chief medical officer, and president of research and development, Rebecca Taub. Hi, thanks very much. Uh, I'm Becky Taub. I'm the Chief Medical Officer and President of Research and Development, founder of Madrigal Pharmaceuticals, and involved with the development of Resmeteram, which is a phase three thyroid hormone receptor beta agonist for the treatment of NASH. Thank you so much. So I would love to hear about the program and some of the data and insights that you've presented today. Today, I presented an overview of data some data from our, our completed secondary analyses of our completed phase two program, which actually completed a few years ago, and then uh, talked about our phase three maestro program, where we had one greater than 1,200 patient 52-week phase three trial that maestro NAFL that completed, and then ongoing serial liver biopsy trial maestro NASH, which is due to complete at the end of this year. So that's it in a nutshell and we can talk about the specific aspects as you would like. Excellent. What have been the biggest high-level insights in the last few months? Yeah, so the two areas that I talked about today, and I also mentioned that we have a number of presentations next month at ESOL. So the areas that I focus on today was the data from our phase two clinical trial and from the cirrhosis arm and also the non-cirrhosis arm of our phase three maestro NAFL trial on the effect of resmeteram liver volume. So we know that from the phase two clinical trial that resmeteram potently reduces liver fat as measured by accurate and sensitive measure MRI to PDFF at week 12 and week 36 in that study and also reduces and resolves NASH and that patients with liver fat reduction on PDFF that's at least 30% reduced from baseline had a much higher rate of NASH resolution at week 36, including a reduction in all components of NASH as well as fibrosis. So we were very interested in what's happening in the liver in addition to just liver fat reduction. And we were able to use the MRI PDFF images to measure liver volume, so serial liver volume. So look at liver volume at baseline that was calculated from the MRI PDFF by established methods, and then look at what happened to liver volume after treatment with resmeteram in both non-serotic patients, which were 
through the NASH phase two population, as well as cirrhotic patients, which is an open label active treatment arm of Meisner-Naffel. So what we showed with that liver volume, um, which was the first part of this talk, was that resmedirom not only reduces liver fat, but it also reduces liver volume very significantly over 20%. And that although in some aspect uh, correlates with the fat reduction, the liver volume reduction is not entirely explained by the liver fat reduction. And that liver volumes are greatly elevated at baseline up to 50% in both non-serotic and serotic NASH. And that resmedirom also reduces liver volume in serotic NASH. And that particularly in that population, this is independent of liver fat reduction or even more largely independent of liver fat reduction. So what is the liver volume reduction is a question. We didn't really get into the speculation, but as I was suggesting, it could be inflammatory milieu is greatly increased in NASH and it could be inflammation that's reduced or other aspects of the NASH pathophysiology. So those are ongoing studies that we have with some of our AI collaborators to look at, well, what's actually happening in the liver when brismeterone is used as treatment. And then the second part of the talk was to discuss the phase three program and some of the data that came out of our first phase three to complete, which was Meister-Naffel that we had completed near the end of January, and then the data from that study. Excellent. I'm going to come back to the, some questions on liver volume that I have. But for the Mastro-NAFL-D1 study, what diagnostic tools are, are you using for measurement? What we've done, and you know what I showed today, but what, what we've done is in all of our Maestro trials, whether it's the serial liver biopsy trial or the non-invasive non-liver biopsy trial, Maestro-NAFL, we've used a series of non-invasive techniques to diagnose patients and then also to follow the treatment with resmeteron. We also are looking at how those baseline measurements are able to predict whether the patient has NASH on liver biopsy. So that's specific to Maestro NASH where we do have serial liver biopsies. So they're parallel trials. And so we'll have comparative data across a very large spectrum of NASH patients. Maestro NASH will having earlier stage patients where the average patient is kind of an F1, F2, and then Maestro NASH having the later stage F2, F3. We also, as I mentioned, have an arm that's a quite large arm of NASH cirrhosis patients where we have the same sorts of measurements. So to mention what they are, you know, very importantly, we enroll our studies based on patients having metabolic syndrome or metabolic risk factors, which is very common in NASH. And what I showed was about 70% of hypertension, 70% of dyslipidemia, more than half are diabetic and almost all of them, the average BMI is about 35, so they're almost all obese. So they have a high level of metabolic syndrome, which enriches for NASH, not only fatty liver, but it enriches for actual inflammation and, and fibrosis in the liver. And then we use a fiber scan, which is a commonly used office-based technique to further enrich the population in the Maestro trials using cutoffs to then allow those patients to move to the next step where they had an MRI PDFF, which is measures liver fat. And at the same time, they many of the patients had an MRE, which is MR elastography, which measures liver st- 
stiffness. And then we had a series of fibrosis biomarkers in the trial, as well as standard safety labs. So we have a lot of diagnostic tests being used in the study. And of course, we also, just to mention, we do have additional serum samples and plasma samples in case anything comes out of any of the ongoing research that we want to go back and look at. Excellent. Well, that uh, <laughs> alludes right into my next question. Are there any limitations to any of the diagnostic tools you just mentioned? So I think that this is the diagnostics in NASH compared with liver biopsy, which is invasive. The diagnostic field has really taken off, but with all assays or all imaging tests, the level of validation is really critical to being able to use that test effectively and interpret the data from the test. And I think in general, all of these tests have significant limitations. So what just to focus on a couple of them, not not all of the limitations, but I think for the imaging, there are error rates in any imaging technique. Now, MRI-PDFF may be a, an exception to that. It's, it's highly accurate, uh, but it doesn't get at the question of whether there's liver fibrosis. The fiber scan is, is conducted in an office, a, a doctor's office, typically, and so it has operator question marks related to it, as well as an intrinsic error, as well as difficulties in obese patients and impact by fasting, etc. So it's got a number of questions as to the accuracy. And MRE is more accurate, so that's done by a radiologist, it's more accurate, but again, could be impacted by fasting, impacted by availability, so that would be a limitation there. And then the biomarker assays have some ways to go. What we've found and uh, is that many of them are highly overlapped with normal, especially at the lower end. Also, uh, to start to see some of those fibrosis biomarkers really be different from normal, you the patient has to be a fairly advanced, probably F3, maybe even cirrhotic patient to see a clear separation. So those are the kinds of things that yeah, so stratification of uh, fibrosis stage is, is one of the right. challenges. Yeah, differentiating fibrosis stage very difficult. There's a large overlap between fibrosis stage with all of those. Yeah. Excellent. So I might ask you this question twice, but I have to ask it now. If you had a magic wand to change anything in the diagnostic landscape, what would you change? I guess what I would have hoped for is that the disease itself was based on an invasive technique. NASH was defined by liver biopsy. It was defined by a finding on liver biopsy, non-alcoholic. You know, So the non-alcoholic part went back to the clinical history of the patient. But steatohepatitis was a pathological finding. Now, fibrosis stage on the biopsy is not directly connected to NASH. That's Fibrosis staging has been done for many, many years, over half a century, where bridging fibrosis or F3 and cirrhosis, those definitions have been out there. So the whole idea that we have to couple these non-invasive imaging or biomarkers to a histologic outcome is very challenging. So maybe the whole way that disease was defined rather than the diagnostic, well, how the disease was originally diagnosed makes it more challenging than to try to change the paradigm away from liver biopsy. That seems like an uphill challenge to say the least. Yeah. (laughs) 
Going back to a point you said previously in our discussion, this around liver volume and response in placebo and resmeterone, and my apologies. (laughs) Can you speak more about that? This seems to be a a new and developing insight in, in the space. Okay, so liver volume, there's been a few forays into trying to understand liver volume and measuring liver volume using MRI, PDFA in the last several years, but really hadn't been applied to NASH therapeutics, which is interesting because it's almost, it's logical, you know, to ask that question. We thought about it at the same time some other companies were thinking about it, and there was some literature, actually, Rohit Wilma, who tends to be a bit ahead of the game, especially when it comes to imaging, had done a study showing this relationship of liver volume to PDFF, liver fat reduction, in a kind of a weight loss type scenario and showed that it was quite a small change, only about 5% or or so. And we noted that some of the other analogs out there, like one class of GLPs, the volume reduction, even with a fairly robust PDFF reduction of greater than 30%, was around on the order of 7%, 10% with an FGF 21. And so we said, okay, well, we've got all this data. We need a serial PDFF study in phase two. So we looked at resmetaram, and it was like a whopping effect of greater than 20% and extremely consistent with treatment, and not entirely related to the liver fat reduction. And also, I think the other important factor was that we didn't realize how enlarged these livers were. We knew that NASH livers were enlarged, but, you know, if the average is 1,400 and they were upwards of 2,000, so they were very enlarged. Uh, And cirrhotic livers are enlarged. And there was some idea that, you know, this enlarged liver was causing discomfort in these patients and pain in these patients. So maybe this was a way of improving patients of reducing the liver volume would improve patients' pain scores, etc. So we were thinking along those lines, but this robust effect of resmetaram on liver volume suggested, well, are we reducing spleen volume, which is important in, in cirrhosis. So those, those studies are ongoing. The MRI could also be used, it, the spleen is on the MRI, so it can also be used to look at effects on potentially a portal hypertension-related endpoint, which is spleens get larger as portal portal hypertension develops. So what your question is, is just the way the the field sort of moved where people started looking at it. And we, we were one of the companies that looked at it. Now, during the conference, Scott Harris asked a compelling question, so I'm going to reiterate that that question that he asked previously. Can change in liver volume compound the assessment of fibrosis? That was a question at the end, and I didn't get to answer it as completely as we're actually doing. But the first thing to say that resmetaram in phase two had effects on uh, to reduce fibrosis primarily in these patients with a PDFF response. So that the one and they they were responders to the drug. They had good drug levels, so they had significant liver volume reduction, and they also had fibrosis reduction. But primarily, based on our AI technology in the more advanced F3 patients, where the F1 of two, which is a very you know kind of early stage of fibrosis, 
there was less of an effect. And F3 has a very defined architecture. And so if you're disrupting bridging, it's much less likely that the contraction of the liver, the volume contraction, will impact the appearance. But with the early stages of fibrosis, where you're getting these just little strands of fibrosis, we reasoned that maybe it would actually make it look worse, or certainly resmetaron would have to reduce fibrosis more than 20% in order to be able to see an effect, more than a lot more than the placebo, which didn't have any liver volume reduction. So our two collaborators who are working on the AI technologies are looking at this factor, and one of them, we have a presentation at ESOL, but does believe that you need to correct for the volume and that the fibrosis benefit of resmetaron becomes more evident if you correct for the, the volume. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward to seeing uh, um, some talks and, and abstracts on, on that, and we'll maybe yeah. have to follow up with yeah. you at, at that time. Changing gears just a little bit, what have you found interesting or compelling through the conference over the last couple of days? Well, this conference always has... You know, it's it's a good one to catch up with other companies that are presenting data, I'd say, and, and some general concepts around NASH as well. But one of the things that I think was different this year was an emphasis on patient awareness of NASH. So trying to involve the Global Liver Institute and some of the other public awareness, patient awareness campaigns that are going on and reminder about International NASH Day, which is June 9th, which I think is really important because, as you said yourself, before you embarked on what you're currently doing, it's like, what is Nash? You know, yes. it's like. So, if a scientist hasn't heard much about it, you can imagine that patients wouldn't be very aware of it, and even providers who have a lot of these patients, you know, diabetic and obese patients, might not be aware of the associated liver disease that's observed in these patients. So that was a big change this time. And then I would just say, you know, some of the interesting science behind some of the targets and how that evolves. Let me ask a follow-up question there. So with generating patient awareness, where does that start? Is it is it direct with the patient? Is it with primary care physicians? Like, where do you think the gaps are right now? The gaps are in a lot, you know, in all of those categories. And so this is not, first of all, this is not an area I know much about. Yes. I'll just say that. Uh, but we do have at Madrigal people who do know about this, who are involved, in, and we're sponsoring organizations as well. So we sponsoring the, the, the NASH Day. We have interactions with Globe Liver Institute in the U.S., the Fatty Liver Foundation in the U.S. We're sponsoring some research with them. And so those are more targeting patients and letting patients know that they could have a fatty liver that actually was significant and not know about it. And that's one group. And then there are a lot of what we call medical affairs or people that interact directly with providers. So not just the top thought leaders who know about NASH, but also sort of people that are out there seeing lots of these 
patients and making them aware. But why this is so critical, and this is you know what I've been told, but it can be shown in the literature, is that, in, in, and this was emphasized by some of these speakers, that NASH is silent. And most of the time, about 80% of the time, by the time a patient gets referred to a hepatologist or gastroenterologist, they're already have cirrhosis, NASH cirrhosis. So they've gotten to a stage of their disease that's a lot more serious and less reversible. And we know that it's really only their underlying metabolic risk factors that is are predisposing them to NASH and that frequently they don't have elevated liver enzymes. I'd say two-thirds of the time they don't in our study. So what are the ways to access these patients? And we're, we're seeing more awareness in the diabetes treatment groups, endocrinologists or whatever, who are taking care of these patients and recommending that maybe we should be screening these patients with simple tests to help identify them earlier. Thank you. Final couple questions. Anything on the horizon in the next six to 12 months that you hope to see in the field in any capacity? Whether well, we hope to see our trial be success, <laughs> our serial liver biopsy trial be successful. So that's, that's our biggest hope. So I think the NASH field has had a number of setbacks on the therapeutic side of things. There's no approved therapy for NASH. And Madrigal has a great opportunity to be a first drug with a successful trials development program that's approved. That's a potential for us. Uh, I think that the growth in the field has been huge, but we know that diagnostics that are not a liver biopsy take a long time. You have to have a lot of data behind them. So we don't expect you know any major breakthrough. We're no. expecting kind of the steady progress as you know we gain more and more insight and have more and more data from NASH patients. Last but not least, anything we didn't discuss that you think is important? Yeah, I mean, uh, the one thing I did want to, I started to allude to is the difficulty of these patients when they develop cirrhotic NASH and they, there's no treatment for that either and they have a very high morbidity rate. Uh, so one of the things Madrigal is doing because we do have very good data in these patients and showing that resmedirum appears to be active and safe in patients with NASH cirrhosis is starting a new outcome study, Maestro NASH outcomes, in early or well-compensated NASH cirrhotics to look at the rate of having liver decompensation or liver progression events as compared with resmedirum treatment as compared to placebo. And we think this is an incredibly high unmet need. It can help support our non-serotic NASH study, but also it's an important study on its own. Well, I look forward to seeing some of those studies in, in the future. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and, and your insight. Thank you. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to preview International Nash Day. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.